building up godly men for a better tomorrow. This is On the Edge with Ken Harrison, where we inspire men of integrity to put faith into action together. And now, here's today's show. So Patrick Morley, uh, it's really an honor to talk to you because I remember going through your book, Man in the Mirror, in 1999 as a Bible study, and it really affected my older brother, my my younger brother, Frank, and myself, and we had a big Bible study based on that that went on for a couple of years, and so uh, it's just uh, an honor to, to talk to you about that book, and then really want to get into your new book because uh, this four voices thing is such a cool thing and i really want to hear what you have to say about that too well thank you thank you ken it's an honor to be with you honored to be with all of your listeners today and uh thank you for having me oh yeah man so i mean what's it like i mean it seemed like there were three big christian books uh, that were written around that same time there's steve farrar's point man which steve's on our pastor's board for promise keepers and then there was Eldridge's Wild at Heart, and and he spoke at our virtual event last year. And now you're the last at the table, man. You're finally getting involved <laughs> with Man in the Mirror. Well, well, thank you. It's yeah. So uh, it's it's interesting. There were so there were so many people, and that was 1989 for me, and I think uh, about the same time for Steve. And uh, John was right around then too, actually. But anyway, here's the bottom line. I've come to see that anytime someone thinks they have a unique message from God, they don't. <laughs> yeah, whenever whenever God is getting ready to say something to the, the human race, uh, he he doesn't speak through one person. He his normal way of operating is to put those thoughts into the hearts and minds of thousands and tens of thousands of his children. So the, the most encouraging thing about the, the Man in the Mirror book for, for me is that there was a, a wide array of people who were also saying the same things about, okay, it's time to, to help men, time to reach men, including promise keepers. Well, when you think about it, because you wrote your book in 89 and those guys around the same time and promise keepers really launched in 91. And so you could see the Lord tilling the ground of the hearts of the men for what he was about to unleash. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there were probably 70 really Christ-centered, gospel-based uh, ministries to men. Denominations, all most of the major denominations had uh, divisions that focused on men at the time. Now, by and large, that's all gone away. But yeah, God is really was really doing something special then. And and frankly, I think he's doing something special right now. He's doing it in a, in a different way because there's a new generation of men that need to be reached with the, the gospel and Jesus and uh, understand uh, how to be part of the church or the body of Christ. So there's a lot of effort that's going in. I know that your organization, Promise Keepers, is doing it. We're doing it. We have a thing called Mirror Labs that we've started, have a couple of scholars involved in that. We're doing some uh, convenings around the state of Florida this year. Uh, I think seven of them where we're getting together uh, a couple dozen churches at a time and then encouraging them to run experiments, different experiments that we help them with, but they come up with on their own really about how to reach younger guys in their 20s and 30s. And then uh, I think uh, over, over the period of the next few years, we, we really want to help um, 
help the church figure out new, fresh ways to reach the men. Now, uh, all the millennials, all the younger people, they need to be reached as well. But the bottom line for us is that you know, we're, 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 we work with men. We're a men's discipleship ministry. We help men grow spiritually. And so we're like a one-trick pony. So we're just going to focus on the men part of it. How have you seen that change? I mean, when you wrote um, your book in 89, what men were struggling with, their perception of the world, their perception of their place in the world is vastly different than today. And you see these guys mm-hmm. in their mid-20s today, they were really brought up in a completely different educational system than what we were. How, how's that changed? How do you reach guys now differently than you did back in 89? Yeah. So, okay. You just threw me into the briar patch. Uh, this is the stuff I love. I mean, <laughs> that's the goal, man. Uh, so thank you for that. I mean, Oh wow. Lord, did that just happen? <laughs> Until you've offended somebody, you haven't really been on this show. <laughs> well, I, I, the, the, the reality is, is that I'm, I'm not going to probably offend anybody. And here's why. Uh, well, I'll do it for you. My, just, I'm just waiting for you my, to team me up then. <laughs> <laughs> my verse for the year is Proverbs 22, verse 11. He who loves a pure heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king for his friend. And then my backup verse, the verse that almost made it is uh, Isaiah 42, 3. Uh, a bruised reed he will not crush. A smoldering wick he will not put out. I just feel like we live in a generation of bruised reeds. I really do. And uh, there's so much, um, there's so much, uh, we, we had a leaders training here. We had 70 leaders here in, in town a couple weeks ago. And whoever was emceeing came up with a clever way to, for everybody to introduce themselves. And one of the questions uh, that they had was, what is your pet peeve? And when it came to be my turn to introduce myself, I said, well, my, my pet peeve is, uh, people being mean. I just, I just, I'm just, I'm broken. I, I, I personally am broken. And it's not that people have been mean to me, but I just, I've, uh, I have a number of younger guys in particular that I'm involved with in ministry that are involved in our leadership that are just smarting. They're just broken because of the, 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 the meanness that people are doing to each other. But now what are the differences? Okay. I want to suggest that there basically are no differences in the core affections of the human heart. So in other words, the, let me say this, the presenting problems that we have, whether it's it deals with marriage or sexuality, uh, gender confusion, uh, what it means to be uh, you know, a, a daddy, time management, uh, work, money, all these things. You know, these are the presenting problems. But when you get below the surface there and you look at the core affections of the human heart, Ken, I'll ask you, why is it, why is it that whether you're 80 years old or 60 years old or 40 years old or 20 years old or 15 years old, that you can pick up the book of Ecclesiastes and read the words meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And it goes right into the, the inward, most inward parts of your soul, of your being. And, and that's because our similarities dwarf our differences as men. Uh, honestly, sometimes I think I'd like to find the find the person who who started coming up with putting these labels on different generations and sort of just you know strangle them, you know, because honestly, 
what we, we we have so much more in common than we have. I mean, a man is so much different than a giraffe or an elephant or a zebra, right? Uh, I mean, our, our similarities just dwarf our differences. But here's the thing that's happening is because of this in, intense emphasis on differences, drawing these distinctions between generations, we're forgetting, oh, those are our own children that we're talking about. Oh, those millennials, those are those are my kids that we're talking about. I know my kids. And by the way, we have a lot of men in their 30s involved in leadership. And they and they are the most beautiful men you could ever imagine. They love God. They, they want to see the kingdom grow. They want to be the men that God created them to be. And the older guys, a lot of the older guys, when you hear older guys criticizing younger guys, you can be sure one thing. They're not spending any time with them because if they were actually spending time with the younger guys, they'd realize these younger guys, they they want help. They need help. And if you if the younger guys are complaining about the older guys, it's equally true that they must just be too proud to ask for help because the older guys that uh, we deal with really do want to help the younger guys mentor the younger guys. Okay, that's enough for now. Well, it's an age-old thing, right? I mean, uh, I saw a quote one time by somebody going on and I'm on about this younger generation and how terrible they were, blah, blah, blah. And then you read at the end that the quote is by Socrates. You know, so it's been going yes, on for at least 2,500 years. Um, but there is something, um, there is a, a different perception and worldview, and it doesn't mean that it's bad. It means it's different, that this younger generation has than what we had. And, you know, like on the, on the good side, I don't know how you, your educational system was probably like mine in that my history education was that America was great. The way it was founded was perfect and that it, all the founding fathers were total heroes. And, and that's how I was raised. And these kids today were not raised with that same perception. And um, so it does, our, our, the way we perceive America and our worldview is a little different. And those are generational things that you have to sort of talk through and over because my whitewashed view of history isn't exactly accurate. Some of these guys have been raised on extreme the other side where theirs isn't exactly accurate either. So there, there are some differences that don't come from us as being different people, but differences in how we were um, raised and, and the, the worldview with which we were brought up in. And that's why it's so important to die in yourself in Christ so that you can see things through what the Bible says, not your own preconceived notions that you were raised with. Because it's so hard for us to get off of you know, by the time a guy's 18, most of his worldview is already settled. And then you spend the next 60 years trying to unsettle a lot of the garbage that you think you know, so that you can see God's word for what it really says, not what you think it says. Yeah. So when I look at all the issues um, that face younger men today, uh, and let's just say it's fatherlessness, maybe they didn't have a father in the home, maybe they uh, maybe their parents stopped uh, being involved in church, and so they didn't really grow up with a a, a sense of what it meant to be part of a, of a a true gospel centered church. And so it it doesn't really make. Here's the thing: it doesn't really make any difference how someone got into their current situation. The only solution is to disciple them out. So I have a, are you tracking with that? Well, yeah, the, it, I mean, I agree with your premise, although how they got there will have to do with how you disciple them out, right? Oh, of course, of course. Here's the thing. 
And so we need to understand the problem. Here's, the th- here, here's another way to think about this. If you're trying to solve the wrong problem, you can only succeed by accident. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So we spend a, a lot of time trying to understand, okay, what exactly is the problem that needs to be solved? Like when I teach a Bible study, which I do, uh, I, I, uh, the first thing that I want to know, okay, is the first question I'm asking, okay, what is the compelling problem that's screaming for an immediate solution that my men are facing that this text addresses? And then I and then I want to develop that problem. I want the men to feel it, what, in, in the beginning of the message. I want them to feel the the gravitas, the gravity of that compelling problem. I want them to feel the problem, and then I want to explain how God has provided to solve that problem. And to me, that's part of the uh, discipleship process. By the way, I think because uh, 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 I'm going to be talking about that this week, uh, an even bigger part of the discipleship process is the idea these men were with Jesus. Um, They were able to watch him, see how he responded to critics, see how he responded to the crowds, the sicknesses that were around and so forth. Uh, Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ International Crew, uh, was a real mentor to me. And so I learned, but I learned most of what I learned, not by what he said, by just by watching uh, how he interacted with uh, hecklers, how he interacted with his staff. We were on a, 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 a thing called Mission Volga, V-O-L-G-A, down the Volga River. And one of the most touching things I've ever seen in my life is that one of his uh, key people knocked on his, the door in this houseboat, essentially, and uh, asked Dr. Bright if he had any extra dental floss because he had forgotten to pack dental floss. And Bill walked back into his cabin and, and came back out and pulled out a strand of dental floss, tore it off and gave it to his associate. And I said, what kind of man is this? This is, this is a, anyway, so we catch so much of what we know about how to live out the gospel by, by watching spiritual mentors. And so I do think that this needs to be a big part of when we talk about helping men disciple their way out of whatever problem they've got in. Yes, they have to have the right information, but then they also need to see that somebody put some skin on and live that out and understand how it works. You know this. Yeah, we do have a, 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 I think a different perception. Um, I want to flesh this out a little bit and I want to get to your next your, your book now, because it really is a fascinating subject matter. But um, you know, having started off my adulthood as an L.A. cop, of course, it gave me a different perspective, a worldview. And, and I really believe that 95 percent of the people are how you're describing them. They're they're wounded. Everybody wants the same thing. They want a dad who loves them. You see the epidemic of fatherlessness. They want to be um, affirmed. They want to have an identity uh, in who they are and all those things. But I do believe that there are 5 percent of the people who are just plain wicked. Well, of course, they won't ever change. And in fact, you know, Scripture says God just leaves them to themselves. He just blinds their eyes, makes their ears deaf so they won't come to the truth, which I've never totally understood that Scripture. But they are, I think, 95% of us are the enslaved, enslaved to sin. And Jesus needs to free us from that sin. But 5% are the enslavers. They're the ones that traffic women. They're the ones that um, are utterly and completely evil. And I think we see that in Jesus. You're talking about how he reacted to people. And most of the time, 
he reacted really lovingly. And then there's these times where Jesus acts like, whoa, where would that come from? Now, we have to be careful because Jesus was God and he knew what was in their hearts and he knew exactly what he was saying. And before we're harsh, we'd better be darn sure we're right. But there are times, I think, when there are people who are I've seen that are just, oh, they're just plain wicked. Well, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Uh, there are two kinds of ministries. There are, are one kind of ministry uh, is, and these are callings, uh, and theologians follow this first category, for example, many of them do. But uh, one kind of ministry is called to curse the darkness, and the other kind of ministries are called to shine the light. Now, that's only one way of dividing them. But um, <clears throat> And so I do think we need to have ministries that are involved in cultural analysis and and uh, you know, culture shifts that go against values and so forth. Uh, Man in the Mirror, we, we are a shine the light ministry. We, we're focused on one thing, and that's helping men grow spiritually so we don't get involved in politics and culture issues. Uh, but I do think for the reasons that you've said, it's important to have people who are involved in those things. Mm, that's good. So let's talk about yeah. your new book. It's called The Four Voices. And yeah. That's funny because I've actually preached a few sermons called The Four Voices. I just wonder if we have the same four <laughs> voices. I'm looking forward to you explaining what are what are the four voices. And if I'm asking you the wrong question, take it a different direction. Yeah. But you know, start well, off with good. what are the four voices? What what should we be listening to? So everything uh, uh, you need to know from the you know the arc of this book, if you will, is is pretty simple. Uh, we all have a running conversation with ourselves all day long. We all know this. We call it self-talk. And we all need self-talk because that's how we take the little bits and pieces of life and forge them into some kind of a congruent story that helps us make sense of our lives. So we need that. We are not the only voice in that conversation. <laughs> there are <laughs> So there are these four other voices also that are constantly exerting themselves to influence what we think, say, and do. And the four voices... Uh, and by, by the way, this is all I'm a I'm a my training is theology and business. So not not behavioral sciences. So I've done nothing to try to integrate behavioral sciences into this book, although uh, some of the contributions of people in the behavioral sciences and counseling and so forth are, are absolutely tremendous, especially if they're faith based. But I'm not that's not what this book is. Uh, the four voices. Uh, so these are the four voices that are mentioned in the Bible. The four voices are the world, the flesh, the devil, and the Holy Spirit. Your job is to figure out which voice is speaking and then take control of the conversation. That's good. That's the same four that I was preaching on. So at least according to you, I'm not wrong, <laughs> which is <laughs> so always according, nice. According to the Bible. I say, no, no, we're just we're both reading the same Bible, fortunately. <laughs> so... Why don't you break down each one of those uh, in a in a basic way, and then you know after we come back from break, we'll get into them in a more detailed way. But maybe start off with you kind of described yourself a little bit. So I assume yourself is, I'm hungry, I want a pizza, um, you know, obvious stuff like that. But what else is yourself? When I was uh, in the summer, approaching the summer in the fourth grade, I walked into a convenience store one morning or one day, and. Uh, they had a case of ice cream sandwiches over in the corner. And at that moment, I've never wanted anything more in my life at that moment <laughs> than I wanted an ice cream sandwich. I remember that. But feeling. Ken, I, I had a problem, though. I didn't have any money. And so I heard a little voice that said, it's okay. No one will ever know. 
And so I went and I took, I'm in the fourth grade, right? <laughs> so I take an ice cream sandwich and put it under my shirt and walk out of the store. Then I hear another voice that starts to say, you weren't raised that way. You know, you need to take that back. And so these two voices in my head are going back and forth. I, I did take it back, but uh, uh, my dad is like the most moral person I've ever known in my life. If I'd ever, if I would ever, for example, have made a racial slur or an ethnic slur, I would still be black and blue. I mean, he was just like the most moral guy I ever knew. So he, he did, did some pretty good training. So anyway, there are these voices up there. And so the the first voice uh, is the, uh, let's just call that the world. And Colossians 2, eight says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on the elemental principles and, the, and, and philosophies of this world rather than on Christ. So this is the worldview that you were talking about earlier. And, and be worth expounding on. So there is no human being alive today who has not been brought up in a system that did not preach relativism or teach relativism. Relativism has been around for uh, just a, sh a little bit shy of 100 years. Problem, of course, with all of these different isms is that they gain traction over time slowly at first, and then, you know, the curve that uh, skyrockets towards the end. So uh, right now, the idea is just not really mad. It doesn't really you know, matter if it's true or not. Uh, it, what really matters is, do you, is it true for you? Is it your truth? And uh, so the so, uh, relative. So when you hear relative, real. when you hear someone say, speak your truth, what they're really saying is they believe in relativism. That's where that's coming from. Yeah, yeah. It, but basically, uh, if it feels right, then it must be right. As opposed to having any sort of external authoritative source of uh, so Jeffrey Dahmer thought it felt right to murder people and eat them, and I, so I guess according to relativism, that was right. I mean, it, yeah, all these systems always break not, down when you when you take them to the extreme, right? They do. So bell curve distribution, because we're talking generalizations. Now, why do we use generalizations? Well, we have to speak in generalizations because if we didn't, uh, we wouldn't be able to talk to each other. But the reason we use generalizations is because they are generally true, not always. And so you take a guy like what you were just mentioning there. So that would be something that would be beyond the scope of this book. This book is not meant to help someone think through a, 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 a mental illness uh, that is as deep as what that man must have had. I see. Okay, so we've yeah. got the the voice number one is I want an ice cream sandwich. That's self, right? Yeah, I would say uh, I would say that's probably self. And and these th first three voices, the world, the flesh, and the devil, they do overlap. And in the book, I've got a little Venn diagram. And uh, for those of your your listeners who are not familiar with that, that's the simple diagram with the three overlapping circles. Everybody's seen that. It's called a Venn diagram. And so the world, the flesh, and the devil are like that. <clears throat> But what I wanted to do in the book is I wanted to go ahead and even though they will be talking at the same time, I wanted to separate them out so we could understand each of them uh, in a little bit better detail. And so, but yeah, so that would be uh, the voice of the flesh, but probably also the voice of the devil. And they're saying, you know, wow, that ice cream sandwich sure would taste real good uh, right about now. You know, I mean, that's kind of, it's almost a silly example, right? But so in, in the book, we get uh, very serious very, very quickly 
for example, uh, one of my friends, we were sitting in a meeting, uh, eight or nine of us in a small group one day, and he just said out of the blue, he said, you know, I just don't feel like <clears throat> anybody really cares about me, only what I can do for them. <laughs> I fell back. I mean, this man is so loved by his family, by he owns a small business, by the people that work for him. I'm one of his clients. I'm incredibly uh, fond of him and so forth. But what man who just heard those words hasn't felt that way? You know, I don't feel like people really care about me, just what I can do for them. Well, where, where does that voice come from? Is, is, that, is that coming from the self or is that the devil, perhaps, maybe uh, throwing um, uh, fuel on the, the self-doubts that you might have about whether or not people really care? We were talking earlier, Ken, about the, uh, the presenting problems. And then and I, I mentioned that the, the core affections of the heart are the same. So if you're listening to this podcast, just just ask yourself, when you get below the surface of what's going on in your life, are, are what I'm about to describe, do these describe some of the inner aches and pains that you have? Um, I'm going to give you seven of them. I just feel like I'm in this alone. Number two, I don't feel like God cares about me personally. Not really. Number three, I don't feel like my life has a purpose. It feels random. Number four, I have these destructive behaviors that keep dragging me back down. Uh, number five, my soul feels dry. Number six, uh, my most important relationships, they're not healthy, not really. And then finally, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything that's going to make a difference and leave the world a better place. And so whether you're 80 years old or 18 years old, you can feel the gravitas of, of those, those problems. And so uh, the world, the flesh and the devil are, are constantly uh, conspiring, if you will, to make those feelings as exaggerated as possible. Uh, and to drag you down and to pull you away from the gospel of Jesus. So we're going to head off to this little break right now. When we come back, um, uh, if you wouldn't mind repeating those seven, because people are trying to take notes on that right now, and they're trying to back up. And <laughs> we'll let them know that as okay. soon as this little commercial's over, then they can do the same again. And then let's talk about the voice of the Holy Spirit, because you've lumped the first yeah. three into the same category. And clearly, that means you've got the Holy Spirit's voice sep off separate. So would love to spend the rest of the time talking about that. So uh, be right back after this break. Today's episode is brought to you through the generosity of Waterstone. For nearly 40 years, Waterstone has assisted givers in supporting their favorite charities like Promise Keepers by crafting customized, innovative giving solutions. Waterstone gift strategists stand ready to create your personalized charitable plan utilizing business interests, real estate, appreciated assets, charitable trusts, giving funds, and more. These donor-specific giving strategies allow givers to bypass capital gains taxes, receive a fair market value charitable deduction, and have tax-free growth for years to come. Prioritize income, minimize taxes, and optimize your giving with Waterstone. Find out how to give and receive the most from your assets by visiting www.waterstone.org. And now, back to today's show. 
So we're talking to Patrick Morley, who wrote one of the one of the great men's books of all time, Man in the Mirror, and he's got a new book out called The Four Voices. And so uh, Patrick's been talking about uh, self, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he gave us sort of seven points, so seven questions to ask to know whether you're sort of being trapped by the voices of those three. And then we're going to go into that fourth voice, which is, which is the beautiful voice of the Holy Spirit. And so, Patrick, give us those seven again, and then tell us, what's the voice of the Holy Spirit, and how do we know when it's him talking to us instead of the devil? Well, uh, the way that uh, these seven points came about is that uh, my, my favorite thing to do is meeting with guys one-on-one. And when guys begin to unpack, you know, once you get past news, sports, and weather— and start to unpack what's really going on uh, below the surface, uh, deep in their hearts, if, if, if they are having some kind of a struggle. Uh, those inner aches and pains, uh, I've seen this pattern develop of these seven inner aches and pains. So I will repeat them, and I'll repeat them a little bit more slowly so that people can <laughs> jot them down if they want. Uh, but the first one is, you know, I just feel like I'm in this alone. And this is the... I. I thought about this because I was mentioning my friend who said that uh, I don't feel like people care about me, just what I can do for them. And so that's the problem, you know, that inner ache and pain of feeling, you know, you know, like, like you're useless, like, uh, yeah, right. And by the way, so many older guys feel like they're useless, uh, which is so fascinating to me. Um, so yeah, I feel like I'm in this. Alone. And then the second one is, uh, that, uh, I don't feel like God cares about me personally, you know, not really. So there's this kind of, it, it's, it's the John Wesley problem. Uh, are you saved, John Wesley? Well, do you believe that Jesus saved you, John Wesley? Well, I believe he saved the world. Yeah, but do you believe he saved you, John Wesley? Well, I don't think so. I don't know. And, uh, you know, he's the savior of the world, but, you know, I don't really feel like he cares about me. So that's number one. I feel like I'm in the low. Number two, I don't feel like God cares about me. Number three. I just don't feel like my life has a purpose. You know, it feels it feels random. I, I you know, why am I here? What's the what's it all about? It seems so futile. So we know that we have good and evil. We've talked about that, but there's a third force at work in the world as well, and that's called futility. You know, meaninglessness. You know, there's there are things which are distinctly good, and then there's things which are distinctly evil, but then, then there's just this humdrum, boring day in, day out, get up, get ready, get the kids off the school, go to work, you know, take a lunch break, you know, come home, uh, have dinner, do the dishes, watch a little TV, go to bed, get up. You know? And so there is this kind of uh, futility that's out there. And so a lot of men do come to the, you know, the, the question, you know, you know, what's the purpose of my life? So again, I just feel like I'm in this alone. I don't feel like God cares about me personally. And then I don't feel like my life has a purpose. Number three. And then number four, I have these destructive behaviors, these repetitive sins that keep dragging me down. So uh, I know you've spoken a lot about uh, sexual sin and so forth. Uh, but, but but there's so many other things, too. Uh, pride is probably a, a much bigger. Actually, pride is probably a much bigger uh, sin if you were just to look at the number of <clears throat> hours per day that men are involved in sinful behavior, probably pride would well certainly be uh, a vine for and the C.S. Lewis says pride is where all the other sins come from. I think that's probably right. 
yes, I, uh, yeah, and I, I read that 25 years ago and I've been thinking about it for all that time and I've never been able to improve on that. That's for sure. Yeah. It's the mother of all sins. And so you've got uh, these destructive behaviors that keep dragging me back down. That's number four. And then number five, my soul feels dry. So uh, it's very interesting. We live in an age of spiritual obesity. So for the last quarter of a century, we have been building these large churches, and uh, which are, some of them are really fantastic. I mean, they're great. They're great teaching and all the online stuff and all of the books. And I've, I believe in the ministry of Christian literature. I mean, uh, I've written 22 books. So I certainly, you know, I'm part of that culture. But the, the bottom line is, is that uh, somewhere along the line, some people have gotten the idea that uh, that to be discipled means to get more information. And so what we have done is we've created an entire generation of spiritual overeaters. And so here's my conclusion. Uh, most Christians today don't need more food. They need more exercise. So, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So then uh, my soul feels dry. You know, one way to do that is not just to, to learn, but it's also to, to get out there and uh, give yourself away. Can you, yeah, I was just going to ask you to unpack, and you were starting to do that. It was, like, it was obvious to me what you meant, but maybe not to everybody else. They don't need more food. They need more exercise. And so what we've sort of been told is the point of the Christian life is to go to church and read your Bible, which is a, a great thing, but that's not the point. Um, there's not going to be an entrance exam into heaven. Yeah. Um, I know. So you're saying exercise means serving, loving others, giving yourself away. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. I was sitting in the back of a little church not long ago, 60 seats. There were 12 people there. I'd been there a couple of years before. And I was sitting in the back and uh, looking at the back of the heads of these 12 people, the same 12 people that were there, you know, two years before. And uh, the pastor's preaching the word. Uh, I know the people. They love God. They would love to have that church, those other 48 seats be filled. Uh, they would love to be flourishing. They'd love to be reaching out into the community and having young families come in. They'd love to be vibrant. I mean, they they would love to have to do that. And so I'm sitting there and I'm saying, you know, what is it that is holding these people back from taking action? And and then I remember Jesus in uh, Matthew nine thirty six. It says that uh, he came and he was looking at a crowd of people. And it says that uh, in Matthew 9, 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he was sickened by their depravity. Well, actually, it doesn't say that, does it? <laughs> it says when he saw them, he, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So it's interesting. He probably was sickened by the depravity, but it's worth noting that the first disposition of the heart of Jesus is to look at people with compassion. So I think we could use a little bit more of that. And then he goes on to, and, and then he turns to his, his disciples and he says, the workers are plentiful, but the harvest is small. Actually, he doesn't say that, does he? He says the exact opposite. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. You know, if you were to, to not be careful today, you would think that there's all these Christians out there ready to help and, and not many people who wanted help. It's exactly the opposite. There are, the harvest is plentiful. Jesus is looking at these people with compassion. He wants to bring the harvest in. He says, 
ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. And so if you, you know, if somebody does want to have a sense of purpose and meaning in their life to, 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 to exercise, to serve him and, uh, and these 12 people in the back of this little church, the thing that could change that would be if those people would, would develop an ache for the harvest, an ache for the harvest. I do think that probably is one of the biggest things that I've been thinking about. I think it's one of the biggest challenges that we have in the body of Christ today. And, and by the way, I, I do a little critiquing of the, the, of the church, of ourselves, and I think we need to allow ourselves to critique the, the church. But I'm always reminded of a, of a quote. It's, I don't know where it came from. I wish I would have said it because it's one of my favorites. Someone has said, the church has many critics, but no rivals. So, say you, that one more you, time. You, the church has many critics, but no rivals. No rivals. Yeah, and so I mean, if you take the church out of, out of, the, out of the calculus of what's going on in the world, you have you have nothing. To, you have no hope whatsoever. Uh, it's Jesus Christ's gospel and his church is the hope of the world. So anyway, I do think that uh, those those twelve people that if if they, if they could develop an ache for the harvest, well, how do you get an ache for the harvest? Well, you get an ache for the harvest by letting the gospel get under your skin. You know, when the gospel really gets under your skin, I mean, it, you, you, there, there are people who will hear this, this podcast who, like me, have a favorite restaurant that they cannot talk enough about. I've got a, a restaurant that I refer everybody to go to that restaurant. I'm a convert to that restaurant. It's under my skin, you know. And so to get the gospel under our skin, that's how you get an ache for the harvest. And that's how all of these people who, uh, um, you know, really are not doing a lot can move from being a, a, an overeater to uh, getting some exercise. My wife, I think I've told this story before. She went to a big uh, rally um, downtown city where we live. Um, There's a famous speaker there and she went there and. I called her afterwards and I said, well, how did it go? She said, I don't know. I said, what do you mean? You're all excited to go to the rally. She goes, you know, I went there and there were tens of thousands of people crowding the streets. And uh, I decided to go feed the homeless instead because I saw all the people there. And so she said, I went down to McDonald's and I bought 30 hamburgers for 30 bucks. And I went down and I fed the homeless and I led four people to Christ. And um, <laughs> I started laughing, you know, that's my dear wife, my, my, my five foot, 310 pound wife down there with all the nuts. Uh, you know, a lot of them are nuts, uh, the homeless people leading four of them to Christ. And I thought, how many of those tens of thousands went and they got more information from a speaker and left thinking they'd done their Christian thing for the day. And there was just some lady out there laying herself out, laying out her safety just to pour herself sit there, put her arms around people who may have had lice or God knows what, and led them to Christ. And that, I think, is what you mean by more exercise. And there you that's go. why my there wife's in really good shape. And not as, I'm not, as, a I'm not as good a shape. <laughs> that is a good woman. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good woman. It seemed like God knew my wife when he wrote Proverbs 31. Wow. Yeah, mine too. Uh, yeah, hey, we, we've got this young, uh, we've got a young uh, leader, he's African, happens to be African-American, he's 35 years old, and one of our leader meetings uh, is today, Tuesday, yeah, so yesterday, we were talking about this, and uh, uh, about attracting more millennials into our Bible study and so forth, 
more, we don't really call them millennials. We, we call them men in their 20s and 30s. Uh, but anyway, it's a label that probably many of your listeners understand. And so he said that he, he made an interesting distinction. He said, he said 98% of uh, people, what did he say? Uh, the right exact word. He said 98% of the people who come to the Bible study are looking for an opportunity. He said 2% of the people who come to our Bible study are looking for improvement. And I just, I have to, I've been thinking about that since yesterday, but think about uh, so many people like do come to church and, and their, their goal is, you know, looking for opportunity, looking for making, it, it, it could be as innocent and as good as making social connections. It could be, you know, making business connections too. Who knows? That's why, that's why I went to church originally is to make some business connections. Uh, but the, uh, the ones that, uh, you know, the, the smaller percentage that go there for improvement to, to grow spiritually. Um, so I, I don't, I don't expect. So the, the principle of the parable of the sower is always in effect. Every time you preach, every time I teach, every time we put the word out there, some of it falls on the good soil, but some of it falls on the rocky and the rocky path and the rocky soil and the and among the weeds as well. And so we shouldn't expect it to always produce every every word to produce a crop. So uh, in our in our ministry, we have a a concept of moving with the movers. You know, let's move with the movers, and then. The others, you know, hopefully they'll see what's going on and want to be part of it later. So I think we're at five points. You have two more. Yeah. And so the uh, the sixth point is, you know, I, my most important relationships, they're not really healthy. And this is especially in the in the marriage and, and then with the, the, the children, if, if they happen to be married. It could also be with friends. It could be with parents. Um, and then the final one. So, uh, so for those who are still trying to write it down, I just feel like I'm in this alone. I don't feel like God cares about me personally. I don't feel like my life has a purpose. I have destructive behaviors that keep dragging me down. My soul feels dry. My most important relationships are not healthy. And then finally, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything right now that's going to be making a difference and leave the world a better place. A lot of guys just feel stuck in uh, what they're doing, and they don't uh, they don't understand the uh, uh, that. Every vocation, every vocation is holy to the Lord. And so there is an opportunity to be a, 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 a we had a guy come to our Bible study one day and uh, two, two guys at our first timers table that I lead. And one guy uh, uh, kept looking at the other guy. Uh, the guy was a lawyer and he said, finally said to the other guy, he said, I feel like I know you somewhere from somewhere. He said, he smiled. So the guy smiled. He said, you do know me. Uh, I'm a disciple of Jesus disguised as the janitor at your office building. So this lawyer and this janitor had come to visit the Bible study on the same day. <laughs> how, how cool is that? Mm, that's good. And what a great understanding of the holiness of vocation. I'm a disciple of Jesus disguised as a janitor. So the fourth voice, the Holy Spirit, we only have about five minutes left. Um, how, yeah. how does somebody know? that voice of the Holy Spirit? How do they know when it's God speaking to them and not the devil? Well, the, the simple answer, as uh, one of my co-teachers uh, says, Kyrie Pender, a young African-American police officer like yourself, uh, he says, if the words don't sound like the Holy Spirit, it's not him. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> uh, so the, uh, 
Galatians five seventeen says that the uh, the flesh wars uh, the fl- flesh wants what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh, so that you are not to do what you want. So we know that the flesh is in this tug of war with, uh, and and we know the uh, the, the devil himself is uh, constantly trying to, the devil wants to destroy what God wants to build. And so the devil's voice, the voice of the devil, uh, doubt, despair, distrust, that's his malware of choice. Once that, once he gets that malware loaded onto your hard drive, it's very, it's a virus that spreads really quickly. However, the Holy Spirit, and this is the point, the voice of the Holy Spirit is exponentially more powerful than all of these other three voices combined. Uh, man, if you're listening, you can't see me do this, and, and unless you're, we're, we're uh, watching a video. But he's a he's a little uh, he's a little parrot. He's the cussing parrot up here on your shoulder, and you can just flick him away. He might be the CEO of sin, but he really has no power whatsoever. In fact, that might be the devil's greatest accomplishment: is to convince us that he has more power than he does. The Holy Spirit in us is more powerful than all these three other voices combined. So every Christian, if you're listening, if you, and you have put your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you. That's the uh, that's something that happens at the moment of uh, conversion or salvation or however you say it in your tradition. Not every Christian, though, really understands how to make the most of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you, uh, it's kind of a cute story. Uh, I've always had motorcycles, but when I bought my first Harley Davidson, I brought it home from the dealership. The next morning, I was going to go out for, uh, you know, a ride. It was a Saturday morning. I went out to crank up the motorcycle. It wouldn't start. So I did everything. I, of course, checked the, you know, jiggled the ignition, checked the fuel, took the battery cables off, put them back. I did everything, you know, finally, uh, by when the service department opened up down at the Harley dealer, I call them up and I was so mad. I could spit nails. I said, I don't want this motorcycle anymore. Anymore. You sent somebody out here to pick it up. I'm, I don't want it anymore. And whoever I got was pretty calm. And he said, well, can I ask you a couple of questions? I said, well, okay. He said, well, did you, um, did you jiggle the ignition switch? I said, well, of course I jiggled the ignition switch. Did you check the fuel? Well, yeah, I checked the fuel. Did you make sure the fuel cock was open? Yes, I made sure the fuel cock was open. Did you make sure the battery cables were all hooked up? And correct me, and I said, yes, I made sure the battery cables were all hooked up correctly. Uh, did you turn on the little ignition on-off switch on the handlebars? I said, on-off switch for the ignition on the handlebars? What are you talking about? Well, there was this extra little ignition. I guess it's like a dead man switch or something, but a little extra safety switch for the ignition on the handlebar. They didn't tell me about that. And so I had been sitting around with a 650-pound paperweight that was totally useless to me because I didn't know how to turn it on. And so one of the main things I'm doing in two of the chapters in this book is just trying to help men and women to figure out how to, 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 to turn on this power that they already have within them. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. But how do you know when you're not deluded? I mean, I I, I got to say that since I've been running Promise Keepers, I've probably had 100 people tell me that God told them they're supposed to work for Promise Keepers. And my response back has been, well, as soon as he tells me, I'll let you know. You know, That's I mean, a good response. 
So yeah. many people think they're hearing from God and really they're hearing from their flesh and then they, they put the voice of the Holy Spirit onto it to uh, convince themselves uh, that, that they have some holy intention when really they just want a job or whatever. How do you, how do you know that difference? Okay, so bell curve distribution. Some of those people might be, uh, you know, uh, okay, so let's, let's face it. We are the most inclusive religion in the world. You know, in every other religion in the world, you have to perform in order to make God happy or avoid his wrath. Christianity is the only religion that welcomes sinners. And so we we do. We attract a lot of kooks. OK, we do. <laughs> we, we, uh, Christianity, we accept all kooks and we don't care how crazy you are. We, we, we'll, we will accept you. But we have to understand that some people are over there three or four standard deviations off the norm. So, again, for, for normal people. Part of the process of not being deluded is to have a better understanding of these four voices. That's the reason. Here's the book, by the way. Uh, do you see that? Yeah, yeah, that's clear. Yeah. yeah, it's coming across. Yeah, I'm loving this. I, uh, I've got the uh, these four arrows uh, representing the four different voices. Yeah. So, bottom line is, um, I want to help men and women under have a better understanding of. Uh, a biblical understanding of what these four voices are. And then I've, uh, about half of each chapter I've devoted to spiritual disciplines and habits and virtues that can help overcome. Uh, so then, in other words, this is a practical application book. It's not just, it gives a little bit of information because you have to, you know, if you don't have the right information, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to operate Excel if you don't know uh, which buttons to push on your keyboard, right? But, you know, beyond that, then the uh, the uh, software of, of how do you implement uh, the, the knowledge that you've had, it's been a lot, probably half the book is focused on that. 27 different things that people can pick and choose from. Mm. Well, it sounds fascinating. I can't wait to read that book. Uh, it'll be good. Yeah. Find out if I've been preaching all the right stuff on the four voices. I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. You've very orthodox guy so absolutely well thank you patrick thank you for uh the book man in the mirror and thank you for this book too yeah i've read one of them can't yeah. wait to read this one i don't know about the other 22 man i've got some work to do to get through all of your books Cat, <laughs> it's been an honor to be with you an honor to speak to your man thank you for the privilege i really do and best of everything to you and to promise keepers thanks patrick Thanks for listening to On the Edge Podcast with Ken Harrison. For a lot of you, this is our first time meeting, and I want to tell the men listening about an organization I'm the current chairman of, Promise Keepers. Promise Keepers is an organization founded by Coach Bill McCartney that's led men across the world to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Promise Keepers is calling men back to courageous and bold servant leadership. To learn more and get involved in the mission of Promise Keepers, visit promisekeepers.org. Follow on social media or download the Promise Keepers app on Apple Store or Google Play by searching Promise Keepers. Through the Promise Keepers app, you'll receive access to devotionals, Bible studies, and other great articles and video content, and a community to build friendships, lead your family, and become transformative leaders. See you next time for On the Edge with Ken Harrison. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. 
cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. <laughs>